You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. All right, everybody, welcome back to this Monday edition of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Hopefully, everybody had a great weekend. Hopefully, everybody had a great Father's Day. I know I did. I, uh, I had an absolute blast uh, with my kids. Uh, nothing better. Great weather, great company, and a uh, huge shout-out to my wife for kind of uh, organizing some of the activities. Uh, absolutely had a blast. All right, I'm not going to get too much to that because we got a we got a really big, good podcast today, and today's podcast is with the CEO of the National Deer Alliance. His name is Nick Penizzato, and uh, he's going to have to answer some t- tough questions for me, uh, and he's going to explain, um, you know, kind of elaborate on what the National Deer Alliance is, what their goals are. Uh, recently, there was a deer summit down south. Uh, we're going to talk about what came out of that, and then he's going to have to like I said, like I mentioned, uh, he's going to have to answer some tough questions that I threw his way in regards to the average Joes like us and the industry, uh, not only from the, uh, I guess, the entertainment side, but the product side as well. Uh, some questions that I asked him, and uh, we'll get into that in a little bit. But huge giveaway this week, right, with Ozonics. Um, we're going to be giving away an HR300, that's the brand new one, and a dry wash bag to one lucky son of a gun. And uh, that's like a $650 retail value, right? So that's a this is a big giveaway. And here's how you win. The first thing you have to do is go to the Nine Finger Chronicles Facebook page and you have to mention or you have to share the Facebook post that mentions this podcast. Then you need to go to Ozonic's Facebook page, like the page, and comment, Nine Fingers Sent Me. And uh, I will go in and I will draw a name at random. And uh, that's how I pick the winners. So uh, this is an awesome opportunity for you guys to... uh, this is an awesome opportunity for you guys to win uh, a great piece of equipment. I'm a huge fan of it. Uh, also, if you are, if you do go to uh, the Ozonics website, uh, you can use the discount code Nine Fingers One Seven. That's the number nine, followed by the word Fingers One Seven, and you will receive seventy five dollars off all orders over. $400. So uh, that right there, my friends, is another great deal. Ozonics is trying to spread the word about their product. It is a kick-ass product. It does work. Uh, and it's one of those things that you you just got to, you have to use it to, to see how it works. And it does work. So uh, give Ozonics a try. All right. Enough of the BS. Let's get into today's BS session podcast with the CEO of the National Deer Alliance, Nick Penizzato. All right, on the phone with me right now, the CEO of the National Deer Alliance, Nick Penizzato or Zoto? Zotto. 
Zotto. Okay. Uh, there's a trend recently with this podcast, and it's me butchering people's last names. So I do apologize. Well, there's been a been a trend with my life that people butcher my last name. So I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't worry about it. And I can only assume that mine has been the most difficult that you've probably encountered recently. So. Uh, uh, you know, like when you were a kid and your mom or dad's trying to teach you to read and you, you try to force a word out and they're like, slow down and sound it out. I typically feel that that would be <laughs> the best thing to do, but I just like dive right into it and try to, you know, make it perfect the first time, which typically leads to me butchering it. No, hey, my whole life, I remember as a kid in sports and so on, if we were playing at an opposing stadium, for example, and if I would make a play on the field and they would try to announce and it always goes something like Nick and then long, awkward pause. <laughs> and they would spit something out because clearly they hadn't prepared ahead of time. So uh, Nick no, no worries at all. And uh, <laughs> something I'm totally used to. So, All right. All right. Well, this is going to sound crazy, but right before I, I signed on and we started doing this podcast, I scarfed down, uh, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And for some reason, I want to ask you, do you like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches? Oh God. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, that's been my go-to on the deer stand for years. Oh really? And, uh, oh, oh, absolutely. I mean, I, me and, uh, especially my good friend, uh, Mike Groman back home who I've hunted a ton with over the years, we always, we'd spend some all day sits on the stands together film and hunts and so on and that was always our favorite time breaking into our pbj so uh <laughs> yeah that's probably my favorite sandwich actually yeah i don't are you uh are you a grape guy or do you go off on the spectrum and, and do like the apricots and the raspberries or do you stick to the yeah. traditional i mean you can't go wrong with grape but right. uh, i i do mix it up a little bit every once in a while I tell my wife to bring home some strawberry preserves or right i don't know if i remember doing apricot that's um, maybe a little bit uh, off the chart for me, but uh, you know the strawberries, strawberries and the grapes and the. I tell you, peach is good. That's a good good one to try sometime. It's got the chunks of peaches in there. That's uh, that's a pretty oh, good man. deal. I'm gonna have to look for that the next time uh, we go to the store. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, I got this. I tell you what, I never prepare for a podcast. I always shoot for the hip. Uh, <laughs> and today, I actually have one college rule piece of paper with notes on it so i've i've actually prepared for this uh podcast and want to cover a whole bunch of things that the nda is doing but before we get into um into all that all the meat and potatoes of this what's probably the most important is how was your 2016 deer season it was good uh i tell you it was a it was a big change for me uh, first off, but I usually do several trips a year and get to hunt my home state here of Ohio, which is a wonderful whitetail state. But with uh, my wife, my wife and I had a son on November 19th. Oh boy. So all of that time, <laughs> all of that time leading up to November 19th is time, you know, you're typically on trips and so forth. And I reserved clearly I've reserved all of that time to not do that this year, but yeah. it still ended up being a really great season. I shot a really nice deer in Ohio, one that I had been watching for a while. I think I got first trail camera pictures of him back in, in July. And uh, he was one of a handful of pretty good deer I was watching. And uh, the, you know, the one thing that was interesting is I felt like the clock was ticking all the time because I, oh, yeah. I just had this fear that I'd be walking out to the deer stand and my wife would say, Hey, you need to get home at the time. <laughs> but, uh, but I think it was, uh, I'm going to say like November 9th, I think it was when I shot my deer oh, and nice. it was, uh, it was cool. Yeah. It was a great deer and it was kind of a, an emotional deer in some ways because I thought yeah, this would be, this would be the last deer I shoot before my son's born. So it was kind of a cool thing. And I saw you had a really good season yourself. So that's, that's great. Yeah. I, uh, I tagged out real early, uh, as opposed to years past, you know, I didn't have to grind as hard, um, shot a a four-year-old buck that uh, had been just all over the place on the property and I caught him on trail camera uh, I went I moved in on him the the next possible hunt and uh, 
he stood up about 90 yards out of some grass at the tip of this uh, finger. I was kind of on a a field edge and it just, and I rattled and he came right in and (laughs) you know, other than dragging him out and cutting him up, the season was over at that point. Isn't it nice when a plan comes together? Like, I mean, it rarely happens, but when it does, it's pretty cool. Right now this year, I'm kind of wishing for that same thing because like you, I'm a, I'm about to have my son, my second son, third child born on the due date's September uh, 28th. So I'm trying to fit wow. an elk hunt in and then wait the entire month <laughs> of October and then hunt the rut. So I have a window that I, hopefully everything goes as planned and he, he's born right after I get back from my elk hunt, you know, then there's some time to get the house settled, introduce the baby into it and then leave for two weeks. <laughs> well, the, the good news for you is you've been down this road before. So for right. me, it was, uh, it was a first baby and my wife and I are older and, uh, have lived most of our lives without a baby. So that was a that was a huge change for us. But you're really, you're like an old pro, so I have no doubt that you're <laughs> you're going to get it figured out, and your wife's going to just accept you for your faults, and probably be glad to have you out of the house. Frankly, so good luck right. on all that. Absolutely, I tell you what, it's funny, and I didn't think it was true until I actually started doing it. But before I had kids, my uncle says to me, or I said to my uncle, "What's the trick of raising kids?" And he says, "Ignore them." And I was like, what? You're going to ignore your children? And then today I live by that because they are talking and they're asking questions over and over and over again. And you just have to learn to ignore them. And then everything goes, yeah. goes well. <laughs> That's probably horrible. Well, I'll, advice. I'll certainly keep that in mind. Yeah, I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> All right. NDA, right? Um, the first thing from a, from a social media standpoint, I want to ask because it's right on the tip of my tongue is talk to us about this coffee and deer thing that's happening on your on the National Deer Alliance's Facebook page and what you're trying to accomplish with that. Sure. So we call Coffee and Deer is a new program, a new Facebook Live program that we are trying really hard to do every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Eastern on our Facebook page. Scheduling can be a bit of a challenge, but that's what we're trying to stick to. And the whole idea behind it is we call it the social campfire for deer hunters. So we will certainly queue up a topic at the beginning and talk a little bit about it and then encourage questions, but we'll go off, we'll go off topic if we need to, but we wanted, what we want to do is give people a chance to interact directly with the NDA, ask questions on the page. And even if they catch the show after the fact, cause you can watch these, you know, they don't, you don't have to be live to watch it. Um, you can, send in your questions later and we respond to all of them. So it's, it's still really new and we're starting to grow our audience a little bit. It was, I wish I could take credit for the idea, but it was totally, uh, my buddy, Michael Turby feels, uh, he has a little company called Boone and he does all of our national deer Alliance, social media and some other things for us, does some writing for us. And we just kicked around some ideas. And I originally told him, I said, well, it'd be cool to have like an NDA podcast where we could cover issues and have a guest on. And he was like, you know, there's so many good podcasts out there already. We talked about the ones that are out there, like yours and, of course, uh, Mark's and others. And yep. so let's let's try this. This will be a little different. It'll be like a 10, 15-minute show, and it'll give a little bit of a face to NDA and give people a chance to ask you questions in a live environment and see how you respond to them. And we're, we're pleased with how it's slowly starting to take off, and I'm glad you noticed it. Yep, yep. So, again, for the listeners – on the National Deer Alliance Facebook page, what time and when? On Wednesdays at 10 o'clock Eastern. Okay, I expect all the listeners right now to tune into that. Don't miss <laughs> it. All right, it's mandatory. All right, so now, and I kind of chatted with you a little bit about this before we got on the podcast, but there are there, the growth or the awareness of the National Deer Alliance seems to be growing, but there is still a lot of people out there that don't know what the National Deer Alliance is. And I'm talking from a, a individual level to businesses and companies as well. Um, so kind of reiterate, what is the NDA, uh, the National Deer Alliance? And what are you guys all about? What is your mission? What kind of actions are you? I know that that's a lot to fit in there, but just give us a high level of what the NDA is all about. 
Sure. And just a little background on that. And first of all, I'll mention that we, although we've been incorporated for a couple of years, we've only really been actively in business and doing things for about a year and a half. So it's understandable that people are still learning about us. But yep. to take a step back in the history of the organization, we were one of the really cool things about the National Deer Alliance was that it was created largely by the three existing major deer organizations. So we're talking about Mule Deer Foundation, QDMA, and Whitetails Unlimited. And people might initially say, well, why would those three groups create another group that could be looked at as competition? And the reality is there's no competition because they created us to focus on policy. So all things that impact deer from a regulation standpoint to a legislative standpoint, even in the, in the courts on certain uh, situations. So if we can do that well, then the other groups can focus on their conservation and on the ground missions. And the other thing is that we don't fundraise the way they do. So we don't do the banquet scene or have a paid membership or anything like that. We give our memberships away because the most important thing we can get is a person's contact information. Because if you have an issue that comes up in your area, we'll send you an email alert based on your zip code and ask you to either contact the legislator or, you know, some task that will help us get to uh, the result that we're looking for. So the NDA is not a competitor of the other three deer groups. In fact, they're all on my board of directors. And I'm sure we'll talk about this a little bit later, but we just had our North American Deer Summit and uh, last week in Austin, Austin, Texas, and each of those three organizations kicked in to sponsor the lunch and they all spoke on behalf of their organizations and also why they support the NDA. So this will just take some time for people to get used to and figure out what it is and, um, you know, hear more about us and see us have some successes. And I think in time, people will will warm up to what we're doing, I think, and, and get on board and understand that they need to not only join those other organizations like they have been, but they also need to follow the NDA as the credible news source of all things deer policy. And I say this a lot, and I'll just reiterate the what we would con would have considered a well-rounded deer hunter years ago isn't the same now. So before it was, you knew how to shoot a bow and a gun, you knew all the latest gear and tactics. I and mean, that's, that's well-rounded on a tactical perspective, but we need you to be more well-rounded on issues that impact hunting because growing up, I think we're a pretty similar age, Dan. I think growing up, we didn't have to deal with the types of things that we have to deal with now as a deer hunter. So attacks on limiting our ability to hunt predators, for example, or even limiting our ability to hunt deer in some circumstances. So these are all things that the NDA is working on along with diseases and all the other things that impact deer and hunting that you need to be aware of and be more well-rounded and be willing to participate on those issues when you're called upon. So the, the National Deer Alliance is basically the suit and tie of all those other types, you know, of those other organizations that you mentioned, you're going to be uh, working directly with lawmakers, working directly with other organizations, you know, doing the, um, I don't want to say paperwork, but kind of like that. I kind of cringed when you said suit and tie, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know, that's a, that's a good way. I guess, I guess that's a good way to characterize it because when you think of talking with legislators and so on, you think about that environment and that setting. It's also, it's also still very much camouflage and boots too. And mm -hmm. I, what I mean by that is we want to interface with hunters directly. We interface with state agencies a ton. So, you know, that's another thing people should know about us is that we're, we're trying to bring all the folks together who need to work on these issues so that we can accomplish some things. So whether it be a, a trip to DC, which is not uncommon for me or, Sit, frankly, sitting down to a lunch with a with a wildlife management agency, and you name the state, you know that's what we're out there for. We're there to work on the policy. We're not doing food plots or things like that, and we're not doing, um, you know, working on wintering ranges like they would be for mule deer. That's that's for those conservation groups to do, and they do it really well. You know, we're we're focused more on the, unfortunately, the less sexy but but critically important yeah. aspects of deer hunting and management. So. How do you then translate the concerns of the camo and boots into a language that the suits and ties in Washington, D.C. can understand? Well, that's a real challenge. I think one thing that helps is, um, number one, I'm a lifelong deer hunter, hardcore deer hunter, always have been. So the translation for me is a little bit easier. 
I think that certainly helps. You know, we have some real challenges in that regard. So, for example, chronic wasting disease is really the the biggest issue in the deer world that a lot of people still don't even know much about, and especially legislators. So if you're sitting across from a legislator that's a non-hunter, and that's the majority of them, um, you have to first explain, number one, why deer are so important to hunting and the economy and socially in America. It's the most iconic game species, for sure. Uh, you have to explain that to them and why it matters, and then you have to tell them about this disease that's killing deer all over the place, that we need money for research and to do things uh, to protect our sport. And that's a that's a big ask because there's so many different things that they're asked for on a daily basis. So when you come in there talking about deer, that they're they're, they're most experienced with them is they probably hit one with their car or a seat in their shrub in the backyard. Right. Uh, that can be a real challenge. So you know, and it's and it's not just me and the NDA. We work with many partners in that regard that that are also used to working with legislators. So we try to partner up where we can and we try to keep our expertise on talking about deer and why they're important. So what, what are specifically some of the challenge? Cause I can, I just imagine, and this is my view of Washington DC or politics in general of here's the national deer Alliance scheduled a meeting with, you know, uh, I don't know, a, a Senator or someone who is in the legislation of, uh, you know, who, who works with the legislation or bills or laws or whatever. And it's, oh, Jesus, it's the National Deer Alliance. Here we go. I don't get, I don't care about <laughs> deer hunting. You know, it's so, you know, it's so dumb. They wasted my time. How do you break through and really grab their attention? I think one of the, uh, one of the ways you do that is you, you start citing the economic impact that deer have, have on the country. And, and, and hunting in general. And the reality is, and this is a statistic that really tends to stand out with people, and that is is that of all hunters, more than 80% identify themselves as, as being deer hunters. That is by far, not even close, the biggest segment of the hunting industry. So deer really do, they really are the straw that stirs the drink when it comes to the hunting industry. You take away deer hunting, you can you can take away the shot show you can take away the archery trade show you can take away 90 percent of these companies that sell products because they're all relying on healthy deer and hunting and it's a giant industry i think that think the numbers eight million dollars a day that, that the hunting and outdoor industry generates oh wow um you know i hate to start quoting numbers because i don't have them in front of me here but it's it's easy to find you know just just do a google search huh? uh, hunting impact on the economy go to the national shooting sports foundation websites another really great resource for research that they've done and it's incredible so when you start going into a you know you go into a legislator's office and you talk about the impact on the economy and how that could be threatened and it's not just it's just not the hunting products either i mean i look at my state here in ohio we have a lot of non-resident hunters that come here and i can tell you during the rut i see license plates from all over the country driving around and these guys are staying someplace they're buying food somewhere. They're buying supplies. Yep. Uh, they're buying gas to get here. You know, all the different services that are related. And that you're talking billions and billions of dollars. And that's a huge impact. And you can tend to get a, a legislator's attention when you mention the idea that, that that could be gone. Right, right. So now I hate to say it, but the world revolves around money. So my question is, how is the NDA funded? So we are a little bit different than the other groups in that we are a, a 501c4 organization where the others are typically C3s. Now, that's just an IRS designation. Uh, but the biggest thing that your listeners need to know is that C3s can go to individual donors and get contributions and um, you know use them toward their mission where we we can still get individual donors, but they don't get a tax benefit by contributing to us. So that means we have to rely on uh, in, companies within the industry that have an interest in deer. The other deer groups kick in some money. Uh, we get money from my board member groups. So I've got board members of Bass Pro Shop, for example. Uh, they're a contributor, National Shooting Sports Foundation, Archery Trade Association. So we have to rely on industry to fund this thing. And as I mentioned, we don't do a paid membership. We may someday, but we don't yet. 
And therefore, we have to be effective with not a ton of money. And as I've told a lot of people since we started this thing, my goal is not to grow some $5 million organization that you have to try to keep fed every year. I mean, that's, that's a, to me, it could be a needless spend of money. I'd rather be lean, have maybe three or four staff people at our biggest time, and just really focused on issues and not trying to spread ourselves into things that, that we shouldn't be working on or that others are already doing. So I think, I think if we stay true to our mission and, and keep ourselves right-sized, we won't need that much money. Yeah. So we could we could do an awful lot, for example, with a million and a half dollars. We could do a ton of great work with that money. Right. So then the money that goes to the National Deer Alliance, obviously everybody, you know, people who work there need to get paid. But where else does the money go? In terms of? I don't know. Uh, research, mean, like research. Does it go to fund oh, okay. projects or anything like that? Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, it, it it literally goes right now, anyway, toward working on the issues at the at the policy level. So okay. it really funds staff primarily. Yep. But we we'd love to have the excess money to do things like put it toward research. You know, we we have talked about potentially forming another arm of the of the alliance at some point where it would be just for research dollars. Yeah. Um, I have people saying, "Hey, if I want to contribute to CWD research, how do I do it?" And this came up in, a, in an industry meeting not too long ago. And I said, you know, I said, that's a heck of a question because we really don't have an easy one, you know, one stop shop for you to donate to, con- to contribute to CWD research, for example. So that's where we need to get to. As I mentioned, we're still less than two years old. So, um, you know, these are great questions and we like hearing them because it helps us think about what the needs are and where we need to get to. So. Um, you know, and other things too, like the national, the North American Deer Summit that we just had, where we brought in you know, over a hundred top deer people from across the country. We had more than thirty deer experts presenting in, in one way or another at the event. Those are extremely valuable for for deer and for hunting because you bring all these people together, sharing ideas, and coming up with what we need to do to to advance and move forward. So, you know, that's another place where where the dollars go towards events like that and meetings where we're convening state agencies and so on. Uh, so kind of transitioning into this deer summit, um, let everybody know what the deer, first off, let's talk about what is the deer summit. So the deer summit, I think it has just now finally found its legs. So the very first one was called the North American whitetail or it was called the white this just might have been called the whitetail summit back in 2014 and it was it was solely a qdma event and it was at that meeting where they said what we really need is a national organization to work on deer policy issues and that was well before it was even called the national deer alliance from there they took a year and got with the other deer groups and ultimately came up with the name of national deer alliance and said that this would be for all deer not just whitetail deer um so whitetails, mule deer, coos deer, blacktails, uh, key deer, any any deer species. And we need to form a, a national board of directors. We need to give it a name, and we ultimately need to hire somebody to get the thing off the ground. So that was the second deer summit where they got to the point where they had a board and said, this is, this is going to be called the National Deer Alliance, and we're going to do all these great things. Stay tuned. So in between that time, two years of well, a little less than two years have passed and we had the third summit and this is the first one where it's as i described before it really is a convening of top deer experts to go through the, the most critical and pressing issues in the deer world with, with the idea of finding solutions to go out and make things better so i said probably countless times during this this summit that we just held that it's great that we're talking about the problem but what are we going to do about it so the summit is really about coming up with solutions and plans to address the greatest needs that we have in the deer world. And I think, I think people were really impressed with the event that we had. People were talking about it. We're starting to get a little bit of press and now it's, it's going to be about what we do to follow up. What kind of actions, um, came from that deer summit? I mean, was there, did, did a list of things to accomplish or a set of goals come from that deer summit for not only the national deer Alliance, but all like any other organizations that are involved? Yeah, so 
some of some things were just articulated at the meeting. I mean, clearly we need more money for research for CWD, and we need to go to Capitol Hill and, and demand attention to deer, right? That's easy. But I literally just this morning finished drafting a whole list of outcomes from the summit that we're going to send out to our participants. Uh, it's uh, I got a couple other people looking at it to make sure I didn't miss something or if I worded something in a confusing way, but we're going to get that out soon. So I hate to totally preempt that, but I'll just say that it gets to the issue. So we, we had one of our main panels. I'll just go through our panels. We had a panel, but we started off with a state of the whitetail address and a state of the mule deer address. And I thought that was a great way to set the stage because what is the current condition of our animals? Right. And then we talked about the farm bill and the participants, even though these are all wildlife professionals for the most part, a lot of them were blown away by just how much the farm bill impacts our deer and our deer hunting, right. how many different programs impact it. So we have to get deer hunters to start contacting legislators and say, hey, we need money for CRP and the farm bill because that really impacts our sport. Deer hunters just aren't used to doing that. So we that was that was a great presentation. And then we had several panel discussions. The first one was on hunting access, which is a continual problem. It's more and more challenging for somebody to be able to go out and find a quality place to hunt. Right. So we tackled some of those issues. We we talked to a couple of states in like North Dakota and Kansas who have really good access programs in their state. And we even even had somebody on there that deals with leasing because that's another component of access. So how do we get hunters more better places to to hunt? And then we started, we spent a lot of time talking about CWD. We had two specific panels there. One was a a panel of scientists who talked about the current state of CWD, where it is, where it's spreading, what we know about it, what we need to do research-wise to learn more. And then we followed that up with having state agencies that are dealing with CWD in their state. We had them come up and talk about the challenges they face as an agency. So, for example... Our goal is not to be to provide to give people scare tactics about CWD. We're not trying to scare anybody. We're trying to provide good quality information so that people are informed and can make smart decisions, understand regulations, all of the things that are involved with it. And at the same time, we unfortunately have people out there who are also respected in deer and hunting circles with an opposite agenda, saying that CWD is not really something to worry about and it'll yeah. just take care of itself and and that's really unfortunate because although we'd love for that to be the case, I mean, I would love to just think that it's that eventually it will just breed itself out of the system. But none of the science is really supporting that right now. And we know that we have to take some steps to learn more about it. So we're trying to help the states find ways to communicate better uh, with, with constituents, um, you know, with deer hunters. And we're trying to be a credible source of good information so that they're so that people aren't confused because it, let's face it, the easier thing to believe is that it'll just go away because then you don't have to worry about it. Right. So people are easily swayed. And then from there, we had a panel that was a little bit interesting, I think, for most most people at a deer conference. And that was it was it was strictly based on the political and social science of deer management. So this idea that you can't just rely on the biological science anymore if you don't win the hearts and minds of the people. Right. And the decision makers. Right. So we talked about messaging and we talked, obviously, CWD is one of the things we talked about because how do we let hunters know that it's something they need to be aware of and concerned about, but yet at the same time, not so scared about it that they decide they want to quit hunting because that's not the answer. So we talked about messaging and I had some experts there who are expert, not they're, some of them weren't even deer hunters, but they're experts in communications and testing messages and making sure we communicate in an effective way. And at the end, we just we wrapped up by talking about how the National Deer Alliance can be a good partner to our the many people that we work with, which was a little bit more of a self-serving panel, but it was important to talk about the future of the organization. So as you can imagine, there were, I probably penned out oh, at least a dozen, maybe 15 different tasks or yep. follow-ups that we're going to have to do going forward. So there's a lot there. Now, I want to touch base specifically on uh, CWD just for a second, and and not just CWD in the wild herd, but CWD in like high fence operations, um, whether that's hunting or deer breeding or, you know, the sell of urine and stuff like that. We're, mm-hmm. Because there, there's a line at some point, I feel, 
and this is just my opinion with no scientific research, uh, but there's going to be a line in the sand that's going to have to be drawn uh, when it comes to people taking a stance on CWD. So in regards to high fence operations and, and whether that's canned hunting or, um, you know, deer breeding, what's, what is the National Deer Alliance's stand on that? Sure. And it's funny you ask that because I just had a, a long Facebook exchange with somebody asking me some of these questions a little bit ago. Um, so we don't have a we don't have a an official position opposing captive deer farming. Okay, which we we have not taken that step. But we know obviously we know CWD occurs a lot of times when it shows up. It shows up on a farm. You've got confined animals. Yep. Um, in a, in a small space, these are wild animals that just naturally tends to cause problems. It doesn't matter what animal we're talking about, but it certainly makes for the spread of CWD a little easier. But at the same time, and I remind people of this, we have CWD in wild herds that some of these wild herds are nowhere near deer farms. So we have to be very careful before we just 100% point the finger at any one in, uh, industry right. or any aspect of this and say, this is the problem. But how we prefer to look at it is CWD is the problem and we all need to work together to figure out how to address it. And, you know, that is, that's separate from other things. Like for instance, if you're someone that's sitting there and you just hate the idea of a canned shoot, I don't even hate to hate to call it a hunt, but a canned shooting situation. I mean, I don't like that yep. stuff either, but that's separate from the issue of CWD. Um, that's a, that's an ethics decision, uh, yeah. a moral decision. You know, what we need to be concerned about is, and what the NDA is concerned about is our wild deer herds. So we need to, we need all hands on deck to deal with this disease Yep. and just getting into a, a fight and finger pointing and all that is not, not going to be effective. And, and I talked with, with some deer farmers that attended the summit directly about that. And then there's the whole other side of it. So you mentioned urine. A lot of people were surprised that in our giveaway bag, when people signed up, we had a bottle of deer urine in there donated from wildlife research center. And I knew that that would provoke some interesting discussion because there, you know, when you're, when you're dealing with the science, you'll have some folks, some scientists that say, if there's even a one in a million chance that, that a bottle of deer urine could infect a deer somewhere, then that's too much. And then you've got the other side that would say, listen, that the idea that urine is going to impact other deer is so minuscule. And it seems a shame to just totally destroy an entire industry or entire segment of the deer hunting industry because of it. Yeah. So we always toe the line of the, of the best available science and the science is kind of clear, but not clear. I mean, we know, for example, that prions from CWD can be transmitted in urine. Yeah. However, we don't know what the implication is of somebody going out and using deer urine in a hunting situation. Is that, for example, is that more of a risk than deer feeding? Or what about deer? Could we, could the next thing it could be, we outlaw licking branches in the deer woods because you know how licking branches <laughs> yeah. work with all the deer in the, in the area are going to come in and hit these things. And so it's, it's just a really challenging discussion. There's a program that the archery trade association has, has been working on called the deer protection program where, They've gotten all of the biggest urine producers that, that really serve the vast majority of the deer, deer urine industry, uh, scent industry. And they've put in some, they've put together a protocol that says, for example, you know, you're, you have to be certified low risk farm. You have to have regular testing to do, basically do everything you can to show that you don't have CWD on your farm is one that's providing urine. So when you're out there buying deer urine, if, if this is a concern to you, you should look on that package because somewhere you'll see a little ATA symbol with a check mark beside it. And that'll say that this, this company participates in the ATA deer protection program. Gotcha. So, you know, you have all of these different entities from some scientists that say, no way, no urine period. We should just get, a, get rid of it. And some states have even banned it. To other scientists that say, really, that's not the concern we should be worried about. It should be other things. And then the Archery Trade Association, who works on behalf of the industry, and they certainly care about deer, too. And they're trying to find common sense ways to to be able to still continue to use those products in a safer way as possible. So you can see where it can be very complicated and challenging. And these are the conversations that, 
that we face on a regular basis. You know, you mentioned you had some concerns with some of the uh, deer farmers out there. What were those concerns? That they concerns that with with the deer farmers, and what was their voice telling you? Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think first of all, they're they're there. I think they they signed up for our event largely because they want to see what we're up to. <laughs> I mean, there were there were rumors. I think unfortunately spread at the beginning that the NDA was created to put deer farms out of business. So I think yeah. part of it is they just want to see what is our agenda and what do we want to do. And I don't blame them. I would I would want to do the same thing. Um, so that's part of it. I think I think what they want, and and I spoke to the gentleman who's the head of the Pennsylvania Deer Farmers Association, and he was there. He went all the way to Texas for this, and you know he said, "Listen, this we all care about deer, and we just want to know that we have a fair seat at the table, and let's yeah. just let's let's find some way to find common ground and work together." And I can appreciate that. Yep. Like I said, I'm I'm never I, you'll never see me go buy a canned deer hunt where you select what type of deer you want to shoot and call that hunting. I don't personally, that does not sit well with me, yep. but the reality is there's a lot of stuff in this world that happens. that doesn't sit well with me. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's a world of diverse opinions and thoughts. And I, I try to be respectful of those different opinions. And I know that's not easy for anybody. I mean, some people want to get in a fight over whether or not you should use a crossbow or if that's real hunting and all this other stuff. I mean, so we just we have to try to find a way to get past that we have to think about what is best what what can we do to protect our wild deer and our wild deer resource and we can't turn away any partners that want to that want to help us achieve that absolutely all right you spoke on messaging right and when i when i think of messaging i think of the the quote unquote hunting industry. And what I mean by that is the, the hunting celebrities, um, the media like myself, uh, you know, web shows out there. Um, and then, and then Mm -hmm. also the businesses now, whether that's like an outfitter or, uh, someone who sells hunting related products, that's kind of what I think. And I walked up to you at the last ATA show and I, I said to you, man, I'm kind of upset. Uh, I, I walk into the halls of the ATA show and I don't see anything related to conservation, whether that's the National Deer Alliance, whether it's the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, whether it's the NWTF, anything really, you know, it's all hundred percent product driven. And I understand that's what that show is there for, but, and this is me kind of getting on a soapbox at this point without deer this that room does not happen right so i guess my is from a messaging standpoint how important is it for those celebrities for the people in that media for the businesses whether they're outfitters or manufacturers to become involved with an organization like the national deer alliance well first of all i, I mean i yeah i applaud your thinking of this because a lot of people don't and you have been a really big advocate for conservation not just nda but other groups and you talk about it a lot on your show you just did the t-shirt fundraiser with the busted rat guys and i got to tell you a real quick story about that for <laughs> if you haven't bought your shirt yet people hopefully you still can because these guys they i, I wasn't sure what size to get and i got an extra large and it was a little too big so I sent them a message this morning and said, hey, I want to exchange this. What do I need to do? And they said, keep the shirt and give it to somebody else and we'll send you a large. So if you want to talk about customer service, yep. that's pretty awesome. So thank you again for doing that. Um, but at any rate, you know, this is a core frustration for me, okay? I, I like I mentioned before, I grew up with hunting in my blood. Um, I, I didn't always work in the hunting industry, though. I worked more in the conservation industry and eventually got more I got right into the core hunting industry and I always was somebody like I didn't see the wizard behind the curtain right I just looked at the hunting industry and all these celebrities and it's all really cool and in the conservation groups and all these things going on and to me I had this vision of what I thought it was and then I got in and now I see what it is sometimes and it can be very frustrating so what I mean by that is we need to do so much more to help the resource and I do appreciate that people need to sell a product and so on. But I can tell you that there's a list of sponsors on our on our website that 
that support us and that support supported the Deer Summit and so on. Or you can you can send me a note and I'll tell you who those were. Make sure you support those people because I can tell you, not everybody you ask to support something as important as the as the Deer Summit. Not everybody says yes. And and I can tell you that our our very lowest level of sponsorship to sponsor that summit was only a thousand dollars. And I had companies that make millions on the backs of deer tell me they couldn't come up with a thousand dollars to send somebody to it. So I take that a little personally. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think that a lot of people uh, are missing the big picture. That if they don't invest, the, I mean, you you can have a fancy sports car, and that's great. But if you don't if you don't tune it up and keep the oil in it, and you don't have a good road to drive on, it's worthless. And I just, we need to see, we need to see more giving back. So look at whether it's NDA or any other group, go to the, go to these conservation groups websites and see who are the companies that are supporting them. And then make sure you, you help support those companies back because they get it. And I I don't want to pick on them all. Some of them really do get it, but there are some of them too, that I can walk in and try to get a few dollars to advance our mission and get zero. And then they'll turn around and give it to somebody who's going to be on television Absolutely. Who, in some cases, some and, and this is not not in, not in all cases, but in some cases, some of these people, some of these names, they don't do anything for conservation. It's all about what they can do for themselves. And and it's and I and I I'm, I hesitate to say that because I have some very dear friends in the industry that have shows that give a ton back. I mean, they give a ton back, and all you got to know to <laughs> the only way, the easiest way to find that out is to see who I'm following and see who I'm friends with. And you'll see who those people are. And I'm not going to name names now, but there are many others that don't. Yeah. And that just, that just misses the, misses the whole boat. And it's unfortunate uh, that, that that's not happening more. Um, so, you know, that's one type of messaging, but another one I want to mention too, is we need to message more to the non hunters and the broader public because CWD matters to everybody. Deer hunting matters to everybody. And as I said, more than 80% of the people hunt deer. So if imagine if 10% of those quit buying a hunting license. Now, remember, these state wildlife agencies, they don't just manage for deer. I know deer hunters kind of think that that's all they do is manage deer and we give them a hard time. But they manage all the other non-game species that people enjoy. So we're talking everything from songbirds to turtles to fish, right? You start cutting the funding that comes from hunting license sales, which is largely what funds these agencies. You're going to have a lot of you're going to have a lot of cutbacks in programs that that look after all non-game species as well, and this impacts everybody. So right. it's a much bigger picture. We need to just not talk to each other because we're great at it, right? We can walk into the ATA show and all talk to each other about all the great things going on. But man, go out, walk into a conference of non-hunters and, and, and just try to explain to them why it is we do what we do and why it's important. And all of a sudden we're lost. Right. That's why we need to work with experts that met, that, that are experts in messaging. My master's degree is psychology and I, that throws a lot of people off. So I have a particular deep interest in this and the way people think. And I think I understand I've been critical of our industry because we don't do a good job of, of talking outside of our own circles. And one of the things, that's why we had that panel at the Deer Summit to try to start impressing upon people that we don't have to be expert in anything, we just have, in, in everything, but we just need to be able to reach out to people who are expert and let them guide us in the areas that we're, frankly, just not so great at. So if you don't mind, I'm going to play devil's advocate here a second. And when we talk about trying to send a message to a, a non-hunter, Right. And you tell them everything's okay. Hunting's good. Here's why it's good. Uh, Your vote, you know, we'd love to have your vote, you know, because that's really what it all comes down to is, you know, having one person and, you know, getting, getting all those groups of people to join sides with us, the hunter. When, Mm -hmm. in my opinion, and I think you've thrown out some statistics before on this, we don't have enough involvement within our own community, hunting, hunters, you know, everybody just goes out, they buy their tags, they go hunting, right? They, why would, why don't we spend more time with the people who are already hunting, but just re-educating them on, hey, you need to be active because there's this group of people over here who don't like it that you hunt. So instead of going out and trying to re-educate you know, educate someone completely about hunting. Why don't we focus on 
the people who are not active, who but who are hunters. Yeah, and I, I think we need to do both. And the reason why the non-hunters are so important is because they're they're ninety percent of the public. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, hunters are only we're only we make up five six percent depending on the information you look at, and then there's another five six percent of complete anti-hunters, and we can forget them. But it's every everybody else. That's that's the biggest chunk of the pie. So they're critical, but. To your point about hunters themselves and and just being lethargic on issues, I don't want to. I don't. I don't think it's a situation where we're pointing the finger at ourselves and, and blaming anybody. Because if you think about it, not only did you or I not grow up with a whole lot of issues related to hunting, but but our parents' parents certainly didn't have a lot of issues related to hunting. Uh, there 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 weren't these massive pushes to, like I said, protect predators or take away lead ammunition or, you know, these types of things that are, that are challenging our sport. So they're, they're just not wired that way. They've always just said, Hey, I buy my hunting license. I go out and hunt and I enjoy myself. So they're not wired that way. But our hope is our younger people now are that are, that are becoming new hunters. We need to do more than just give them hunter education. I mean, that's important but we need to also educate them on the bigger picture of things so that they're equipped and they're at a very young age to understand that this is a sport that they're always going to have to fight for. So that doesn't excuse anyone else for not getting involved in issues. I mean, there's a a really sad number that of our, we'll say 11 million deer hunters in the country that less than 1% join the three major deer organizations. Um, that's that's terrible and that's sad Uh, we need we need people to give back to the sport a little bit more and we do need to talk to our own quite a bit more and uh, we we haven't done a good job of that so i'm I'm hopeful that we can start doing better right so then when i was a kid my dad used to get a, a a magazine called iowa conservation and the pictures were boring the articles were kind of boring um yes conservation is important but it was almost like it was just uncool you know what i mean is just come off as some old guy in a suede jacket telling you about you know (laughs) you know you know what i mean that that yeah visual that visual is the nda doing anything to make conservation cool i mean you know what i mean like trying to get some kind of connection similar to the connection that we have with those celebrities that we have with, you know, specific brands and try to reach out and just be like, Hey, listen, man, conservation's cool again. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure that's specifically our mission necessarily at NDA, but I think what is in our mission is to try to impress upon people that we need to do that type of thing. Why it's, which is why, again, we, we had that panel at the deer summit, right? Because we need to think about messaging and, and how we talk to not only ourselves to your point, but also to, to other people. So, uh, you know, it's, it's something we've always struggled with. It's even, even with trying to recruit new hunters, it's always, the focus has always been how quickly can we get a gun in someone's hand and get them out in the woods as opposed to why aren't we doing more well-rounded education of big picture things and not necessarily, um, not everybody need, not everybody's going to hunt or not everybody's wired to want to hunt, Yeah, but they need Absolutely. to at least understand why it's important. And we've, we've failed in, in some cases, I think on that front. And I'd, I'd just like to see us do a little more broad-based education on, on conservation and, and why we hunt in the first place. So it all comes down to involvement, in my opinion, in some way, shape, or form, especially for the, you know, the hunters, right? So how can the average Joe, the guys who are listening to this podcast right now, how can they get involved? And maybe what are some things that they can do at just a grassroots level to to help not just support uh, the National Deer Alliance, but conservation in general? I think the first thing is just become aware of the issues and you can do that for free by, by joining the NDA. I don't want to sound like a commercial, but we don't charge you to get our newsletter every week that has a lot of the top deer stories in it. Um, so that's one easy thing you can do or join these other groups for, for a very 
small amount of money, you can get a paid mem- membership to QDMA, White Tails Unlimited, or Mule Deer Foundation, and get some in-depth information on not only the issues, but how to how to give back more specifically to the resource through on-the-ground conservation. I think I think that's easy. And then the other thing is you just have to be willing willing to talk about it too. You might have a neighbor, for example, that you see a couple times a week. You pass each other in the on the property line there and say hello. And you know this is a person that might have questions about. Uh, hunting and conservation could be a non-hunter you need to be you need to be willing to have some conversations with that person and it's uncomfortable if you don't know the issues so if you know the issues better you're going to feel more comfortable talking about it and and passing it along so but the the most the, the really the biggest thing dan is to become informed and then once you're informed if there's an opportunity to weigh in on a subject send a letter off to a legislator or whatever make a phone call be willing to do that. And, and we make it easy through our, our grassroots advocacy system too, where if there's an issue in your backyard and we get it, we alert you to it, you can go through that system and just with a few clicks of the mouse, you can send a letter off to the appropriate legislator. You don't have to look at, look the person up if you're confused. We make it very easy for you. And I think that's all part of just being a well-rounded hunter. Awesome. So then, you know, it's the end of the week. We've busted our ass all week long. Uh, you know, we're tired. We, you know, we, we have kids, you know, we struggled just to find time in the woods. Uh, that's one way, you know, time. The other way is money, right? You know, okay, well, I don't necessarily have the time, but maybe I can donate a little bit out of my pocket, you know, to one of these, con- mm-hmm. uh, but then again, it's one of those things where you're asking someone for money and then they're just like, God, I don't like giving money to anybody because I work so hard for it. What, what is the best way to give back per se? And I know you mentioned that's kind of a, uh, the same question just asked differently of what I just asked, but from a time and money standpoint, what's the best way? Yeah, I think what I described is maybe the easiest way. The best way, um, you know, obviously a, a financial contribution is certainly helpful. Look at look at these groups before you contribute. I think you'll be impressed to see that they they all spend ninety five percent of that money directly on their mission, as opposed to you know other groups like Humane Society of the United States spends most of their money on trying to get more money. So right. Um, but so that's one thing you can do that. Um, you know, you can you can do other things too. You can mentor non-hunters. Take a youth. Take a, take someone that hasn't been hunting and invite them out. I took my sister, for example, turkey hunting this spring. And even though she grew up around in our family and was around hunting, she never really went. And took her out on a turkey hunt. And we shot a turkey, and it was a great time. Uh, so there's an opportunity to educate and give back that way. Um, there are op- opportunities to participate in conservation projects in a lot of cases. Um, not so much through the NDA, but these other groups that are out there. Um, and in some cases, it's just a local sportsman's club group is another way you can, you can give back uh, because they're, they're always working on projects and doing things in the community for the sport or for kids or just, just keeping the passion alive, quite frankly. So I think you just have to look at your own personal situation and figure out what's best for you. If, if, if money is an issue, but you have a little extra time, then, then you need to give of your time through the many ways you can do that. If, if you have no time at all, but it's really important to you, then then give a little bit of money to these groups that are working on it on a on a twenty four seven basis, so that you you at least can feel better that you're doing something towards protecting the heritage of, of deer hunting. So I think it just varies depending on on your own personal situation, and you evaluate that, and you got to do ultimately what's best for you. But what 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 you shouldn't do is, is nothing, right. if at all possible. Do do a little bit of something, and I think that'll all add up to big things. Right now, I don't want this to sound like a pat on the back, but I, and you mentioned it a little bit earlier and for the listeners, they know. So I started the, or I, I designed the t-shirt profits from this t-shirt went to conservation. Right. And I said, I'm going to donate yep. the, um, the money from or my profits from that t-shirt to the national deer Alliance. And I, like you mentioned, I worked with uh, busted rack on that. Um, and I'm proud to say that with the contributions of two of my partners, uh, deer lab and Exodus trail cameras and another donation from uh, rubline marketing that 
I should be sending you a check for over twelve hundred dollars, one thousand two hundred dollars. Wow. So um, that's awesome. I want to say, first off, thanks to everybody who purchased the T-shirt. Thanks for all the companies um, that I mentioned uh, for for backing that, uh, matching that, or you know, contributing something. And, um, and 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 also thanks to the National Deer Alliance for for fighting this cause for us. No, I mean that's that's really incredible, Dan. And I think you you practice what you preach. And I think that should send a pretty clear message to your, to your listeners that, uh, you know, you're legit in what you say and you're going to, you're going to do what you say. And, um, you, you didn't call me or, or run anything by me. I just saw it. I got a notification on Facebook that said you were doing this. And I, I went on, and I was like, wow, this is awesome. You know, Dan is, is going to help us out here. So I immediately went on there and bought a shirt, like I said, and uh, hopefully others did too. And it sounds like they did. And you've got uh, great partners there that contributed. I know those guys too. And, uh, that's, that's awesome. And that's, that helps. I mean, that all helps. And there, there's a way that you evaluated your situation and you found a way that you could give back. And uh, that's, I think that's what we're asking people to do. And, uh, yeah, certainly can't thank you enough for that. Well, I tell you what, um, any last words that you want to kind of give to the listeners of this podcast, the average Joe, you know, the, the, whether they're uh, a hardcore deer hunter and they're working, uh, you know, they, they hunt 45 plus days a year or the guy, the weekend warrior who can only get out, you know, four or five times an entire season. What, what are some last thoughts that you want to share? Yeah. And that is, I don't want people to, to hear this and think that, man, it's just, woe is me in the deer woods right now. It's, it's a bad time. And I don't want people to walk away with that feeling. I want you to go out there and enjoy this sport. Take your kids with you, go with your friends and family, um, continue to be a deer hunter. And by doing that, you're, you're also being a deer conservationist and enjoy it and do it because you love it. At the end of the day, that's why we do it. If we didn't enjoy it, we wouldn't do it. So Deer hunting is still, it's, it's meant a ton to me in my life, and I'm sure it has to, to ma- the majority of your listeners. I know it's meant a lot to you, Dan. Get out there and enjoy it. Get out there and hang your trail cameras. And all I ask people to do is just find one little way that you can give back to the sport. And again, with, a, with 11 million of us out there, all those 11 million little things will add up to big things, I think, for the sport. So I just say stay after it and enjoy what you're doing and, and remember why you're doing it. On that note, Nick, I appreciate you taking time out of your day to come on the podcast, man. I, I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Anytime. Again, thank you for all your hard work and for the contribution. And uh, I'm looking forward to, to wearing my shirt very proudly here once I get my exchange done. So thanks again. And there you have it. Huge shout out to Nick for taking time out of his very busy schedule to come on this podcast and uh, talk about the National Deer Alliance. Remember, go and sign up. It's free, and it will keep you informed. Thank you very much for doing that. Huge shout-out to the partners of this podcast, Gearhead Archery, Wasp Archery, Ozonics, and remember to sign up for the Ozonics giveaway, Exodus Outdoor Gear, keep a lookout for the Gen 2 camera, Lone Wolf, Ripcord, and Deer Lab. Uh, Without them, Uh, This becomes a lot more difficult, so thanks to the partners. Please go out, support those partners that support me. I would appreciate it. Also, huge shout-out to my wife. I love you very much. What else? Uh, Follow me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Go to iTunes, leave a review. And uh, if you're going to be in a tree, guys, wear your damn safety harness. Have a good week.
Thank you.